and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. The swanky 10-story midtown apartment house at 51st Street didn't exactly scream murder when you strolled by. In fact, it was once home to a glamorous celebrity couple of the stage and screen living the high life during the Roaring Twenties. However, on a warm June afternoon in 1929, when shrieks were heard coming from the building, the NYPD didn't expect to find a Broadway star laying dead in her bed. This is the tragic murder of Margaret Lawrence. Before we get into Margaret's horrible, tragic story, this actually wasn't a case I had heard about before. And as you know, true crime and theater, it's like peanut butter and jelly for me. (laughs) Is it though? I don't know. Is it really? (laughs) That was an awful analogy. I don't, yeah. You know what, friends? I'm sorry for that one. Get out of here. I was looking for a musical about a tragic event and stumbled upon Margaret Lawrence, who only has a brief blurb about her life on Wikipedia, but it was enough to draw my attention to her, and it led me to old records and newspaper articles from the 1900s. She was honestly such an interesting, talented woman who really paved the way for women in theater, and something I loved while researching about her life is that you know, because New York City and Broadway have spanned for years, decades, I felt a sense of connection knowing that we've all sat in these old theaters where she once performed. We've all likely taken the same route Margaret would take to go to work. All this to say, friends, history is so interesting. If you have a New York Times subscription like we purchased for this specific project, go look into Margaret Lawrence. You know... I'm sure she is interesting, but somehow here I am recording yet another podcast episode that is a true crime episode, and it is not what I signed up for. And thankfully, it is the last one of this season. I'm not doing any more. Respectfully, this episode makes me feel like we are Daphne and Velma diving deep into a murder mystery. Respectfully, let's get on with the episode before you say something that gives us seven years of bad luck or hauntings. Speaking of respect, we want to include a trigger warning because this episode does deal with domestic abuse, violence, suicide, murder, and gore. Margaret Whitaker Lawrence was born in Philadelphia on August 2nd, 1889 to Mr. and Mrs. George Lawrence. Margaret Lawrence began her career at the age of 17 before appearing in productions in Chicago in 1910, making her move to New York in 1911. She starred in Broadway plays such as Wedding Bells in 1919, Lawful Larceny, 1922, and Secrets, in which she was also the costume designer. By the year 1922, Margaret Lawrence was known as one of the busiest actresses on the American stage. Margaret Lawrence was socially prominent, serving on the advisory boards of several charitable organizations. As a hobby, Miss Lawrence collected old plays and manuscripts, having one of the most complete collections of its kind in New York City. When asked about her collection, she is quoted saying, 
Energy is like love in one respect. The more one gives, the more one has to give. I believe in many activities. They round out a life. They keep it from falling in a groove. I don't like people who live one life as it were. I have no patience either with many people who complain that they haven't time for this or that. A few haven't, of course, because of the circumstances of their lives. But there's infinite time for everything for most of us. Enthusiasm finds time. Indifference loses it. Damn girl. Damn girl is right. Miss Lawrence believed that a woman's place is the place her brains and energy make for her. It may be the home. It may be the stage. In her life offstage, she was a wife to Orson D. Munn, of whom she married in 1913 and together had two beautiful daughters. During this period in her life, she retired from the stage to tend to her children. However, the media claimed that she disappeared for six years, which is so strange. I kept finding old newspapers that would say that she disappeared for six years. And yet there's also like the conflicting argument that she was just taking care of her kids. But to say someone disappeared is so odd to me. I wish I could disappear for six years. Okay, buddy. Miss Lawrence wouldn't return to the stage until 1918 in Tea for Three and again won acclaim for her role. The following year, she appeared in Wedding Bells with actor Wallace Edinger and later appeared in Transplanting Jean, after engagements in Lawful Larceny and The Endless Chain. While the media praised her endlessly for her star quality charm, Margaret's life behind the scenes was beginning to crumble. In 1922, she divorced from Munn in secret, filing the divorce out of state. And you can make of that what you will. It was the 1920s, Right? So early 1920s, it could have been due to an affair that both wanted to keep in secret. You never know. You never know. But I feel like in the 1920s, everyone was having affairs and it wasn't like grounds for divorce in the sense that people were just right, right, partying. I don't know. I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. we, we will never know. However, this separation did not stunt her growth in the theater world. After marrying her Wedding Bells co-star, Wallace Edinger, in 1924, Margaret went on to play in shows throughout the years, such as In His Arms, Shall We Join the Ladies, which only ran for two weeks, Isabel, of which she starred as the title role, The Pelican and the Heaven Tappers in March 1927 at the Forest Theatre, which we know today as the Eugene O'Neill Theatre. This would be the very play that would ultimately end her life. Not exactly in the literal sense, but... This is when she would meet Louis Benison. They originally opened the show in San Diego before bringing the production to Broadway, where it began performances on March 8, 1927, before flopping after playing only nine performances. The pair ironically played doomed lovers. A little backstory about Louis Benison. He was born on October 13th in Oakland, California. His father was actually a Canadian, but eventually moved to California to be a gold miner. Lewis would go on to star in films as a cowboy and make his stage debut all before the age of 20. So he was fairly big in the world of performing. In the fall of 1927, Lewis Benison and Margaret Lawrence set sail to Australia together in a production of Robert Emmett Sherwood's new play, The Road to Rome. Although Benison and Lawrence were not well acquainted before this trip, the week-long train journey to the West Coast and three-week voyage from San Francisco to Sydney provided the opportunity to engage in conversation further than that of the theatre. The pair spent several months in Australia before returning from their tour in January 1928. Back in New York, Margaret Lawrence's career was beginning to collapse. She was offered the leading role in Edgar Selwyn's comedy Possession. 
which opened on Broadway on the 2nd of October 1928. But after two weeks, overwhelmed by her personal problems and drinking heavily, she suddenly dropped out of her role in possession and was suspended for six months, being fined two weeks' salary by the Council of the Actors' Equity Association. The suspension meant that Miss Lawrence was not allowed to act with equity members and was barred from the stage for the specified time. Was she banned because of her drinking? It's a good question. I am assuming so, but I think she probably broke her contract, right? By leaving? Mm. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if, you know, she was leaving and broke contract or if she was or if she was fired if she was drinking I just wanted to I was just curious yeah it's very interesting I believe that she left on her own I don't think she was actually fired I believe that she was like being kind of maybe sloppy drinking Mm. and such and left because it was overwhelming for her and um then possibly was fired and then suspended Mm. As a result of that, if that makes sense. Um, Yes. Yeah. No, she's so fascinating, isn't she? Mm -hmm. So the charges against the actress were brought on by Edgar Selwyn, and the nature of the charges was not made public. But in her reply to the media, Miss Lawrence contended that an injury in a taxi cab accident had compelled her to withdraw from the play. Hmm. So things weren't looking too great for Margaret Lawrence at this point. She actually filed suit in the Supreme Court for a divorce from Wallace Edinger in November of 1928. The two had only been married for around four years at this point. I forgot about her first husband. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I, I forgot mm. that she got remarried. So here's your check-in point, guys. <laughs> she got remarried. Now, flash forward a few months later, Wallace has pneumonia in January of 1929 and suddenly dies. So rather than being his ex-wife, Margaret is now a widow because the divorce wasn't finalized. Here is where the end of Margaret's life takes place. On the evening of June 8th, 1929, Margaret was shot through her left breast while laying in her bed. Sprawled beside her on the bed was the body of her lover, Louis Benison, also with a shot through the left breast. On the bed was a heavy caliber pistol. Police suspected that Benison evidently had shot Miss Lawrence, then killed himself. A suicide agreement was hinted in two notes found in the apartment. One note pinned to the door said, quote, The sunset has a heart. Look for us there. End quote. The handwriting of this note was identified as that of Miss Lawrence. It was signed Tiana, which I don't know how you get Tiana from Margaret, but I assume it must have been a nickname of hers if they, you know, kind of identified it to be Margaret. Anyways, yeah. Or maybe a reference to like a character or something that she played. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I didn't get much uh, hmm. after Interesting. that about it. Okay. The other note was on the twin beds in the room where the bodies were found. It was unsigned and read, Please notify Mr. Musson at the Lambs Club at once. All of this would only be discovered the following afternoon by Mrs. Gertrude Chiller, a friend of Miss Lawrence, whose frantic shrieks were heard coming from the penthouse, but tenants assumed it was simply drunken antics from the building's famous residence. She had to let herself into the apartment after no one responded to her phone call. Chiller's heart raced as she stepped in, shaking Lawrence awake. She stopped and drew back her hand suddenly when she noticed a small, dark, blood-soaked circle on Lawrence's left breast over her heart. Mrs. Chiller said she had visited the penthouse several days prior, and while she was visiting with Miss Lawrence, Benison came out of the other room, 
waving a pistol. It was hardly a surprise they both ended up dead, Thierry Chalair told the police. Weeks before the shooting, Benison had threatened to shoot Lawrence when the actress told him she wanted to leave him. If you do, I'll kill you. This will finish us both, Mrs. Chalair quoted the actor as saying. She said that Miss Lawrence was able to subdue him and he put the pistol back in his pocket. The incident, said Chalair, was what prompted Lawrence to secretly give her a passkey to the apartment. Look in once in a while and keep your eye on us, Lawrence told her friend. And that, friends, is the tragic story of Margaret Lawrence. Now, I believe from what I've read that they did end up ruling that he murdered her and it wasn't a suicide pact. Um, Good, because I was going to say, I call bullshit on the suicide thing. This is clearly a woman who is in a relationship with a Mm -hmm. shitty man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I wish I had more accurate information on what happened in rulings of what evidently happened, but I do believe that it was classified as a murder and no longer a suicide pact. Hopefully, because, yeah, from all of this, you could just see that she didn't choose that. And it's possible that he made her write that letter if it was in her handwriting, of course. The letter doesn't even seem like very, I mean... I'm not an expert in suicide notes. Absolutely. But like it does it could have been something that she just had written something else about that he just kind of used to stage it. I'm It's almost like poetry, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. you know she's artsy and like signing it Tiana, like you would think mm-hmm. if you were writing a suicide note, you would write your name like so that people knew who wrote it. Like I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a fishy. It's fishy to me. And for me, what seals it is that she told her neighbor, like, here's my key. Please look in on us. Right. Because obviously I am in a situation with a man who is danger. Who's dangerous. He's waving a gun around. She knew her life was in danger. So she was asking her friend, like, to check in every once in a while. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. It really is such a tragic story, and it makes you... And I believe she was only 41. Yeah, so she was only 40 years old. So while she had a very grand life, it was a short life, and it would be a tragic end to her life as well, which is just so heartbreaking. And she, in reviews, I mean, she is so praised by reviewers who say she is like, comedic genius her comedic timing was impeccable it's very sad and i was so surprised to learn that not too many people know of this story Mm -hmm. i didn't know me neither like i mentioned and i figured that would be something that you would see maybe during like halloween spooky season on the top broadway theater sites because she did so much on broadway i mean she was constantly in shows her entire life she would close a show the next week she was in another show and it went on like that so like i said if you have a subscription to the new york times there are tons of interesting articles there about her and which not to get away from margaret but speaking of the new york times subscription uh just a quick shout out to those of you who donated to our kickstarter because you made that subscription possible for us and therefore gave us access to all this fabulous information that we can share with you. Well, that was our last true crime episode for this spooky season. Um, Thank God that, you know, 
it is interesting, but I won't lie. These super bum me out. They really yeah, do. No, like they are bummers. Um, absolutely. But I also just find like history so fascinating. Like we covered Bonnie and Clyde this season, which so many people do know about. But, you know, maybe someone learned something new in that episode. You don't know. You know, you're right. I did learn a lot in those uh, true crime episodes this year. And since it was just Canadian Thanksgiving, I do have to say I'm thankful for the knowledge that I have received. However, I am even more thankful that I will not have to do another one of these episodes oh, yes. until next okay. year. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> There's a cap. Only only three true crime a season. We had a bit of a dark season in that sense, haven't we? Well, yeah. This is more true crime than we've covered is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. No more also, of that. which one of us is Shaggy and which one of us is Scoobs? Cause I'm Scooby-Doo. Okay. I'm, wow. highly, I'm highly food mo- motivated. And I think it would do you good if you started smoking. (laughs) I think it would do both of us good if we started smoking. Well, as always, I'm Chris. I'm Jocelyn. Together we are Breaking Breaking the the Curtain. curtain. We will be back with more fun stuff. Keeping you in the Halloween spirit. Yeah, as, as we count down to Halloween. Bye, friends. We love you. Goodbye.